Lord God, our Father, we come apart. We still the voices, the bustle, the busyness of this week. As we enter into the Sabbath, And Lord, what joy it is to come together as a body of believers to celebrate the love and salvation and victory that we have in Jesus Christ. And Lord, this evening, as I share a little story, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us that every word from my lips would be from you. And that each individual here would hear exactly that which he or she needs to hear, a word from on high. Lord, we're not here by accident. We are here because you've given us life. You've given us opportunity And Lord, let that opportunity not go to waste. We pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would be fully engaged in this act of worship. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This weekend, as Kurt, thank you, Kurt, for your announcement, uh, your introduction. This weekend, we're going to talk about a lot of things, but they're going to center around living for Christ, living for Christ, bringing Christ to everything in your life. And, and we're going to take it in a few different parts, four parts to be exact, but two of the parts are really going to be testimonies in which I will share with you how the Lord has worked in my life. That's tonight, and that's the sermon, uh, Divine Worship, tomorrow. And then the other two parts are going to be about how the Lord has been using me to be a light in my sphere of influence and me sharing with you things that you might be able to do in your spheres of influence. And so we're really taking it in two parts, but it's all about living for Christ. And so this evening, I'd like to share with you a story. It's a true story. And it's one that, it's, it's probably, I think it's the most meaningful memory that I have, maybe second only to um, my heart conversion and, of course, my wedding. And this is on Audioverse, so my wife knows that I said that. <laughs> Fortunately, they could not be here this weekend. And as, as Kurt mentioned, I'm a corporate executive. Uh, I work at a a large financial services firm. And as part of my job, I travel. As many business people do, we travel. We go to different places, generally on airplanes. And so I fly a lot. And people ask me how much I fly. And I, I found that the best way to answer that question is I fly enough to be silver, but not enough to be gold. Although I get very close, I get very close, and maybe this year I'll make it. And so because I travel so much, it's, it's quite a normal thing that I do. I'm, I'm quite used to it. I have a routine. 
It's not something, I'm not one of those people who's afraid of flying. I know that factually, that flying is perhaps the most, uh, the safest mode of transportation out there, except perhaps your feet. So I, I'm not worried about flying. And I'd like to take you back to just over a year ago, December 4th, 2013. December 4th, 2013, it was United uh, U.S. Airways. U.S. Air, because I'm from Philadelphia, which means you fly U.S. Air. U.S. Air, 1822. And I was flying from Philadelphia to West Palm Beach, PBI, for those of you who are IATA code enabled. From PHL to PBI. And it was a 10 a.m. flight. 10 a.m. flight, about three hours. And December 4th is a good time to be flying to West Palm Beach. And it was an uneventful, it was an uneventful morning. It was a 10 a.m. flight, and so I, I did my usual thing. I got up at about 4.30. I worked out. I had my devotional time with the Lord. I drank my green smoothie. Then I uh, prayed with my family. And then I got in my car. And I drove the 45 minutes to the airport. The traffic was normal. It was a very normal day. Everything was normal about it. Drove about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. My flight was departing out of Terminal B, but there's never any parking in Terminal B because that's one of the U.S. Air terminals. So I had to go to Terminal D, which is generally where I park. Went to Terminal D, got out of the car, walked into the terminal, went through security, Got my shoe shined. The Koreans, for some reason, own all the shoe shine stands <laughs> in Philadelphia Airport. So I got my shoe shined in Terminal D. Then I walked over to Terminal C, because C is in between D and, a, and B. And when I got to Terminal C, I went to Jamba Juice. And I got a large Calabrian breeze without the Greek yogurt. Not that I'm vegan, I'm not vegan. I'm aspirationally perhaps, but it's just too hard to do <laughs> when you're out and about and traveling. But I just didn't care to have the yogurt. So I got the Cal Calabrian Breeze, no yogurt. That was in Terminal C, and then I went over to Terminal B for my flight, because there's no Jamba Juice in Terminal B. <laughs> Only in Terminal C and Terminal D. It's like I said, I fly enough to be silver, but not enough to be gold. So I got to the terminal, I got to the gate, and uh, it was a very interesting crowd at the gate going to West Palm Beach on December 4th, because I was going for a conference, a conference of top advisors, top advisors from around the country, people who, uh, in fact, specifically women, it was uh, top women advisors, and these are people who manage hundreds of millions and even billions of dollars on behalf of their clients. So we had a lot of professional financial advisor types. Uh, we had other financial services types like myself who are trying to get in front of these financial advisors. And then we had a lot of snowbirds. We had a lot of wheelchairs. I think they wheeled down, you know when they first call for those who need assistance 
to go down the jetway. I, I think half the plane <laughs> was wheeled down the jetway. It was quite amazing. But because I'm silver, I got to go on relatively early, which means I get overhead space. Wheels in first, of course. And so I found my seat, I sat down, and I, I just got out my routine. So when I sit in the plane, when I'm ready for a trip, I take out my, my uh, uh, earplugs, my foam earplugs, my Bose noise cancellation headset, I'd like to double up sometimes, and my eye mask so that I can relax, if not sleep. Usually I end up dozing somewhere between sleep and being awake. So I pulled all that out, and um, next to me straggles in, in uh, Zone 5, those poor Zone 5 people. Young man, he, he couldn't have been more than 25. Very tall, very slim, very lanky, um, crazy wild hair, kind of matted looking, uh, lots of uh, kind of a scraggly beard. Uh, apparently that seems to be popular these days. <laughs> For the longest time, I noticed that some of the younger folks in my office would have that, uh, is it a three-day or a five-day beard? I'm not sure which day it is. It's something like that. And for the longest time, I just thought, wow, um, they, they might need to get a sharper razor or something. <laughs> and then I realized that they were doing it on purpose. But anyway, so he, he looked uh, very tired. He looked like he'd been up all night or doing something. And so he got into the window seat. I was on the aisle because I always like to be on the aisle because I'm very type A and a little bit of a control freak, perhaps. And so I, I, I was on the aisle, I let him in, and he immediately crashed out. Immediately crashed out. Very tall, too. I felt sorry for him. One of the advantages of being 5'7 is that economy is not so bad. It's okay. So it was a very normal flight, and we took off. Everything was great. Uh, I had my, my uh, noise cancellation headset on, my eye mask. Uh, I had uh, the Lamb Winds playing. Does anyone know about the Lamb Winds here? A couple people. If you, if, if you haven't heard about it, you need to check it out. Uh, it's a, a two-CD set, original music, uh, all covering the book of Revelation. And it will give you a completely new perspective on the prophecies of the book of Revelation. So you can go to thelambwinds.com or you can look it up on iTunes. I don't get any proceeds from it. I just think it's an incredible <laughs> musical project. I also play cello on a few of the tracks, but um, it was all volunteer. Anyway, I was listening to The Lamb Wins, and I, I had my get-up on, and I was just I was dozing, and, and really, I, I don't know, uh, I think I must have fallen asleep. Because about 90 minutes into the flight, I started feeling the plane banking to the right. And I didn't think much of it, although I did think it odd that it would bank so sharply and so much. And then, so, so then I took my eye mask off, and I could see out the windows, I could see the sun, and the sun moving, and I thought, wow, we're turning around. But I didn't think much of it, because I fly a lot. 
And I thought, well, maybe air traffic control is just slowing us down coming into Palm Beach. Not a big deal. A few minutes later, I saw the flight attendants start to go up and down the aisles, but they didn't have a beverage cart with them. They were just going up and down the aisles and walking more briskly than I would normally see a flight attendant walking. And I I made note of that, but I didn't think much of it. Then a few minutes later, I saw a flight attendant go up to a, a pilot who was sitting maybe two rows ahead of me on the other aisle. Now, you, you know how when the crews of these commercial carriers need to reposition to get to a different flight, and you know they'll fly in the extra seats on a plane, and that's what was happening with this pilot. And I saw a flight, uh, a stewardess, walk up to this gentleman, bend over, say something to him. I, I didn't know what it was, uh, but say something to him in hushed tones, and then she immediately went back to the back of the plane and he followed her, got out of his seat and followed her. But again, I, I made note of it, but I, I didn't think much of it. And then the, the pilot came on the PA. And so I took my headset off because I wanted to hear what he had to say. He said, uh, good morning, folks. This is the pilot from the cockpit, the captain from the cockpit. I just wanted to let you know we're turning around to go back to Philadelphia. Now I was really listening. And I heard the groans. Oh, man, we're already 90 minutes into this flight. We're halfway to Palm Beach, and we're turning around? So you could hear the murmur ripple through the plane. And he goes on to explain, we're turning around to Philadelphia, because we have a little bit of a mechanical situation. Okay, let's find out what this is. He says, there's a, uh, an indicator light. The indicator light for the parking brake has flipped on. And we can't get it to turn off. Now, most likely, because this happens to me in my car, perhaps it has happened to you, sometimes the indicator, light, indicator lights will do funny things. And and oftentimes for no apparent reason. And in this case, he said, the most likely scenario is that there's just something wrong with the uh, sensor that is triggering the indicator light on the parking brake. In which case, we'll have a very normal landing. That's not a good sentence. (laughs) But... The other possibility is that for some reason, the parking brakes may have engaged while the landing gear was inside the plane. If this is the case, when we land, the tires will explode on impact and we will slide the rest of the way in on the landing on our belly. But that's not a big deal. (laughs) I don't know about you, but he had me at tires exploding on impact. (laughs) And all bets are off. And so he said, 99%, it's a faulty sensor. 
But just in case, we are turning around to Philadelphia. And so, um, you know, now everyone was silent. All the murmuring was gone, and it was quiet on the airplane, except for the, the roar of the engines, of course. He, he proceeded to tell us that we would be circling for a while because uh, we needed to burn off as much fuel as possible so that the plane would be as light as possible so that we could land as, at as slow airspeed, as slow as possible, which would increase our odds if something were actually wrong. Well, that sounded pretty serious to me, and it got even more serious when the flight attendants, they, after the pilot was done, the flight attendants began instructing us on emergency landing procedures. And so the first thing they said was, find the nearest emergency exit. And I think it was behind me. I was sort of halfway in between two, so I was going to be the last one getting off that plane. (laughs) So find the nearest emergency exit, and then they started briefing us on the brace position. Does anyone know what the brace position is? Has anyone ever been taught what the brace position is on an airplane? Well, God bless you. (laughs) That's not something you want to have to learn. Well, the brace position is you put your arms on the seat in front of you and you bend over with your forehead against your hands. And that's the brace position. (laughs) And you just wait for it to be over. They also told us that under no circumstances can you take any luggage off the plane. The, word, the phrase they used was, if it doesn't fit in your pocket, you can't take it with you. Because they don't want people fumbling around and trying to get stuff. Because the, uh, the other thing they told us was, after, in case of an emergency landing, when we get off the plane, it needs to be evacuated within 90 seconds. So this, this big plane, probably 150 people on it, evacuated in 90 seconds. So we got the briefing, we got the training, and then we waited. We waited, we circled. I could, I could see the circling because the, the, sun, the sun would come in one side of the plane and then it would, it would, I could see it traveling across the, the wall and then eventually it would be on the other side of the plane You could just see that circling. You could feel it. And we were up there for um, probably at least two hours. Just burning fuel. Burning fuel so that we could be light and slow. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what happened. Just to not hold you in suspense. We lived. (laughs) The plane finally stopped circling, and the pilot announced that we were going to be making our approach. He told the the flight attendants, prepare the cabin for emergency landing. And he also got on and said, not to worry, 
because the runways have all been cleared. There's no other air traffic in the way. And all the first responders are parked right by the runway, just in case something happens. So don't worry about it. So then the flight attendants came back. They reminded us of the security, uh, not the security, the emergency protocol. And then they told us what the signal was, the signal to get into the brace position. And the signal was this. All of the flight attendants in unison started chanting, heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, heads down, literally. <laughs> literally, they, they um, you know, it was kind of like a fire alarm with a fire drill, <laughs> except it was voices. It was voices. And so we were approaching for landing, and they told us to assume the brace position because they were saying, heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, and I could feel the descent. And at first, when I was in the brace position and we were descending, I tried to kind of peek out of the side of my eye to the, uh, out the window to see how low we were getting, but I realized that I can't actually be in the brace position and look outside the window at the same time. So I stopped doing that, and I just, I had no idea how low we were, where we were relative to the ground. I had no idea. All I, I could feel the descent, and I could hear the chanting. And then finally, the pilot comes back on, and he says, brace for landing. And I thought, okay, here we come. Here we go. And meanwhile, it's heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, heads down, stay down, literally. That's, except there are like 10 of them. So I was in the brace position. The pilot had told us to brace for landing, and I was just waiting, waiting to see what would happen. And there's something about it. There's, I don't know how to explain it, but when you're just, bef just before the wheels first touch, there's something happens. You can feel it. And I felt that, and I thought, here we go. And I felt the first touch, and then the second, and then it settled out and landed. And I thought to myself, thank God, a normal landing. <laughs> it was a normal landing. And so everyone was really excited, so happy, so ecstatic. And we started taxiing towards the gate. And then halfway between the runway and the gate, the plane stopped again when we just stopped. And we thought, okay, what's going on now? And then the pilot gets on and says, the pilot gets on and says, um, folks, uh, we, you might be wondering why we've stopped here. And it's because this, the plane won't steer. That the, the, the front... Uh, the front landing gear wouldn't steer. And he said, but don't worry. We're going to use differential thrusting <laughs> to, to maneuver the plane. And then, if that doesn't work, they'll get a tow truck for us. 
Well, that's what happened, and we got back into the, the terminal. Uh, everyone was shaken up, but you know, they, they got another plane set up a couple hours later, and we were back to uh, West Palm. That's what happened. But I'd like to circle back now and talk with you about uh, people's reactions to that situation. Specifically, I'd like to talk with you about five different reactions uh, that I personally am aware of from that ordeal. Because I don't know about you, um, that was the first time I'd ever been in that situation on an airplane before. I think it's pretty rare. But something I think that was really even more rare about it is when, when I and when those people, when we were sitting on that plane and the pilot was telling us that 99% it's just a faulty sensor, but 1% it could be tires exploding on impact, I think we all felt like this could be a really big deal. This could end really badly. Maybe injury or even death. But the, the funny thing about these kinds of situations when you're facing death is, my observation is that they come in two flavors. One is, when you face death, it just comes out of the blue. You get hit by a car, you're done. You don't have time to think about anything. Maybe you don't even have time to react. Death just comes. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I think you generally have these situations where you know you're going to die or you think you may die, but you have days, weeks, months, or even years to prepare for it. But there are very few situations in life, I think, where you are facing your death and you're going to know the outcome within two or three hours. Does that make sense? This dichotomy I'm talking about? So, in my mind, once I had grasped what the pilot was saying, I quickly came to the realization that I had three hours between that moment and potentially something really awful happening, or even death. So the question is, is what goes through your mind when you have two or three hours before something like that might happen to you. And I want to share with you five different responses. First of all, the young man who was sitting next to me. I don't know what he did the night before, but he was wiped out. He fell asleep almost as soon as he got on the plane. And he slept through everything except at the end when the stewardess's weight woke him up because he had to assume the brace position. And I'm pretty sure he had no idea why. (laughs) And he wasn't in a very talkative mood, and neither was I. But he spent that last few moments before that landing, first of all, sleeping, and then completely and utterly confused at what situation he now found himself in. That's the first response. The second response I want to share with you, there was an old couple sitting right behind me. 
And they were really your stereotypical old married couple. Uh, the wife, they must have been in their 80s. The wife was just very talkative, talking to her husband the whole flight, and he would really kind of grunt or maybe have one-word responses. And then once this happened, she was asking him things like, what's going on? What's happening to us? What are the grandkids going to do? What are our kids going to do? Are you afraid? And the husband was really, he was just, ah, yeah. Just grunting, giving her monosyllabic replies. And at one point he did say that he was very afraid. But that was about the most he said. Well, once we landed and everyone realized that it was a safe landing, he immediately started complaining. He harangued a flight attendant about why did we turn around instead of continuing to Palm Beach? We could have landed there. Are they going to have another plane for us? What gate are we going to be at? How long is it going to take? When are we going to land? When are we going to get back to Palm Beach? The instant that he realized that he was no longer in danger, it was business as usual for him. That's the second response. The third response came from a financial advisor, who actually, this was a a day later perhaps, she recognized me from the plane. And she came up to me and started talking about it, talking about how frightening it was. And she she, uh, said to me, you know, when, when I realized what was happening, I was so afraid. And I tried to just really calm myself and mentally go to that place. What she meant was mentally go to see what happens after you die. She said, I wanted to go to that place. And so I just sat there quietly and I closed my eyes and I tried to mentally go to that place. But I couldn't see anything. And nobody was there. So that was the third response. The fourth response was from a young woman, actually a coworker of mine. And she was also extremely frightened when we were talking later. She was explaining this to me. She was extremely frightened. And she said, you know, I believe in God. And I was, I was praying. I was talking to God the whole time. And I was saying to him, God, you know, I know I have to die someday. But today shouldn't be that day. This is what she was saying. And she said, God, I know that you and I aren't on the best of terms right now. And I know I should be doing other things and I should be better and I should be, I should attend more and, and you know, attend church. And I, I know I should be doing those things, God, but, and we'll have that conversation, but just not today, not right now, because you need to get me out of this. That was the fourth response. The fifth response was a man who, once he had 
reconciled himself to the situation and realized what was going on and what the potential stakes were, was keenly observing his own emotional, mental response to the situation. And what he realized was that he felt peace. He realized that he had complete confidence in his salvation. That was his first realization. Then the second realization was, what will happen to my family? His second realization was, and it wasn't about material well-being, because he's worth more dead than alive, according to the life insurance companies. But it was this deep longing to be there and wondering what would happen to his family knowing that he would no longer be there to be the spiritual leader of his household. And so for the remainder of that two to three hours, this man was in prayer over his family and thanking God for his own confidence in his salvation. And you probably have guessed that was me. That was me. It was such an, a powerful experience realizing that I had perhaps two to three hours separating me from potential death and having that confidence in salvation. I believe that the Lord used that indicator light to bring us back to Philadelphia because there was something seriously wrong with that plane. I don't know what it was. Unfortunately, we can't play out the alternative scenarios perhaps until we get to heaven. But this indicator light comes on and then halfway to the gate, the steering goes out. There was something, that, that, that plane was off. There was something not right about that plane. And I believe that the Lord used that indicator light to take us back to safety before something worse happened. But it was such a powerful experience to be in that situation because now I know, now I know that having faced death, I know this, the state of my heart. And I praise the Lord for giving me that experience, for being able to have that confidence in my salvation. And having lived through that experience of longing for my family's salvation. So this evening, I want to ask you, which of those people on the flight are you? Are you the young man? Are you sleeping it, sleeping it off? You sleeping it off? Because one day, 
You're going to have to wake up. You're going to have to assume the proverbial brace position because this world is coming to an end. And unlike this scenario, which ended, out, ended up well, that one's not going to end up so well for those who are sleeping. Or perhaps you're the old couple, that old man. While in the air, he was avoiding reality, admitting his fear, but refusing to confront it, refusing to engage it. And then once having been shown the mercy of God, just starting to complain and moan and act as if it's business as usual all over again. Are you that old man? You know what situation you're in, but you don't want to confront it. You want to ignore it. And you've seen the hand of God in your life. But as soon as that situation is resolved, it's, what have you done for me lately, God? And you move on. Or perhaps you're that financial advisor who tried to see what would happen after death and was utterly in the dark and extremely disturbed about it. Maybe you don't know where things are headed. Maybe you don't know how salvation works. Maybe you don't know these things. Well, praise the Lord, you have an opportunity as long as you have breath to learn. Or maybe you're the young woman who is bargaining with God. Maybe your relationship with God is more of a negotiation. And you only negotiate when you have to. When you're in a corner. And then you're on your knees asking for His mercy, His grace, His forgiveness. Asking Him to get you out of this situation. But recognizing that things aren't right between you and God, but you're not going to have that conversation with Him today. Or, do you have peace? Do you have confidence? Do you have a heart for the others in your life? Do you have a desire to share with them the peace that you have? the confidence that you have. Which of these five people do you want to be? Which of these five people do you want to be? Because that's up to you. That's up to you. You can blame your parents for what they did. You can blame your church You can blame that church member. You can blame your school, your classmates. The reason why I don't believe is fill in your blank. But ultimately, it's up to you. Which one of these five people you are is up to you. And I'm here this weekend, not only tonight, but tomorrow morning and afternoon, to plead with you. Decide who you're going to be. Decide who you're going to be. 
James told us that we are just vapor. Tomorrow is not promised to us. I got up that morning at 4.30, worked out, did my devotional, drank my green smoothie, prayed with my family, drove to the airport, parked in Terminal D, got my shoe shined, went to Jamba Juice, went to the gate. Everything was perfectly normal. I had no idea what I was going to experience that day. And none of us has any idea what we're going to experience on any given day. And to the extent that we are here, healthy, of sound mind and body, it is by the mercy and the grace of God for which I thank Him. So we're going to talk about a lot of things this week, and I hope that you will join us. But this evening, think deeply, consider deeply, which of those five people are you? And if you don't like which person you are, then make a decision tonight, this weekend. Make a decision to be that person you want to be, full of confidence and a heart for others and their salvation. Let us pray. Lord God, our Father, you are so merciful. Every breath we take, our strength, our health, our mental faculties, our material blessings. Without you, we are nothing. We are but dust. Yet how quick are we to forget? Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us. Lord, we don't know the end from the beginning the way you do, yet we can have confidence in our salvation if only we will believe. I thank you, Lord, for giving me that experience that I may have that blessing, that blessing of confidence and salvation in what Christ did for me and my acceptance of that. But Lord, there are people in this room who do not have that confidence. There are young men and women in this room who do not have that confidence. And Lord, I pray for them, each and every one of them. Lord, I plead for them because you are a God of choice. You did not create us to be robots. You did not create us to be automatons. Love can only be freely given. And you've given each and every one of us a choice of which of these people we will be. So Lord, we rejoice in the Sabbath, yet at the same time I pray this evening that each and every person here would take some time to think deeply, to think deeply about who they are and who they want to be. By the grace of God and of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.